Welcome to How to Sell Drugs, a podcast presented by Lucy.co. This podcast is about drug culture, policy, and business with an emphasis on harm reduction. This podcast is not intended to advocate drug use and is meant for educational purposes only. This podcast is presented by us, and we make a nicotine gum that we think you'll find better than any smokeless tobacco, vape, or cigarette on the market. I hope you'll check out our products at www.lucy.co. And today, I'm joined by my co-founder, John Coogan. Hi, John. Hi, David. And Catherine Dockery. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Catherine is the founder of a new investment firm called Vice Ventures. Vice Ventures invests in companies that are typically uh, precluded from uh, being invested in by some of these larger established venture capital firms because of something called a vice clause. And these vice clauses typically prevent VCs from investing in things like nicotine, cannabis, etc. And so... Catherine has a very interesting perspective on investment in this kind of quote-unquote vice market, and I'm going to turn it over to her. And Catherine, why don't we start with your story, starting at the beginning, maybe 18 years after birth. (laughs) Um, At 18 years old, I was studying neuroscience and finance at NYU. Um, I grew up in New York City. My dad was a bartender at the Corner Bistro. In fact, he was a very much a vice enthusiast. He absolutely loved all types of drugs. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> um, my first job out of college was trading high-yield debt at Citigroup in their sales and trading program. I quit after my second job. I mean, my second bonus without a job. had no idea what I was going to do. Um, spent six months contracting. I had written this blog in college called Dockery's Daily Docket. Okay. Um, which kind of explained why the equity markets moved. I ended up getting a pretty big followership from that, so I just cold emailed people who read the blog when I needed a job um, and ended up contracting at a ton of hedge funds. Um, and then I ended up meeting the founder of Bonobos kind of randomly, um, presenting research. He wanted to hire me, uh, worked for him, ended up managing his portfolio of private investments and family office. Then Walmart acquired Bonobos. Then I followed Andy to Walmart, um, and then within the first month, Realized that some people absolutely love working in M&A. I, unfortunately, was not one of those people. Um, and then told him I wanted to leave. Was interviewing at tons of consumer venture firms. They all asked me to pick an industry. Um, I picked nicotine, cannabis, virtual reality porn, psychedelics. <laughs> everything that I thought would have exits that nobody knew how to talk about. Um, so that's kind of how Vice Ventures was founded. That's awesome. So um, when... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, so what was the response when you said virtual reality, porn, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all these, you know, different kind of like triggering words for a corporate VC that probably has to answer to the California Board of Pensioners and Harvard Endowment? <laughs> oh, it was lots of giggles and lots of like, oh, we definitely can't do that. Like, oh, why do you think that will have any return? So interesting. So is that kind of like okay, the conversation about a job offer stops here, or is this them kind of pitching you, well, you know, maybe you'll have the opportunity to do that, but we're going to want you to work on a bunch of really kind of boring uh, consumer software companies first and chat apps and whatnot. I mean, it was definitely a combination. Um, some people were like, oh, like we're all about culture fit here, and if you don't kind of like see eye to eye on what we want to invest in, then like it can't possibly be a fit. And then other people were just more curious and like, why do you think this is a good idea? Sure. So, I mean, I think that's a good 
uh, kind of segue, like why did you think it was a good idea? When did, I mean, obviously you mentioned your father was an in, in inspiration, but I don't know that uh, it's Andy Dunn, right? Who's the, who's the uh, Bonobos guy that you worked with? Um, he, has he made a lot of vice investments? Did you work with him on that? Like wh what, what kind of sparked all this? Yeah, um, so the first, I guess, point of inspiration was the only private investment I had ever made personally prior to this um, was in a company called Bev which is a direct-to-consumer rosé that at the time was looking to build out fulfillment centers to be totally vertically integrated. Um, I loved what they were doing, and that was the company I ended up pitching at all these interviews. Got it, got it, okay. And, and how was that received? Um, hilariously enough, a lot of these people ended up investing in the company directly and or like loved it. But not putting in the funds. Yeah. Money. And they were like, Got we it. can't, we can't invest out of the fund. Like, God forbid it's alcohol. Like what would people think? And I'm like, it's rosé by a blonde chick. Yeah. Like, how terrible is this? Yeah, I can't imagine that that's going to destroy a lot of lives. Yeah, when, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's whole funds built around, you know, much more severe, like, pharmaceutical drugs that have huge potential for abuse and addiction, so... That's interesting. So how do you feel like these firms define the term vice, and how do you define the term vice? I think it's a huge problem. Um, I think, I mean, part of the reason why I was so frustrated and frustrated enough to start this is I kept thinking of who decides what is right and wrong, and where, do's, and where does this capital come from to fund what's right and wrong? And then I thought more and more about it and realized that venture capital is actually the smallest portion of the financial system. So when a venture capitalist raises money from uh, their limited partners, their investors, um, there's a number of things that go into kind of their main partnership agreement. One of those is, I believe, literally called the vice clause. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the vice clause basically prohibits anybody um, who's part of this investment firm to help grow businesses that are operating in the cannabis, alcohol, gambling, anything sex-related. And does that, does that clause vary from fund to fund, or is it pretty boilerplate at this point? Um, it definitely varies from fund to fund, um, but I think there's very fewer um, variations. Do you know the if there are any funds that like, are kind of bigger names that have maybe one exclusion and you see, oh, okay, so a Sequoia tends to clearly doesn't have a gambling exclusion, but an Andreessen Horowitz does because you see that they get all that traffic, or is it pretty much all the major funds kind of operate in the same realm? I would say all the major funds operate in the same realm, and a lot of it is also from social pressure. Got it. And social pressure just meaning the the re, the, in the venture capitalist community, not necessarily the L, their LPs, even though that's where the clause is kind of being enforced from. I would say a combination, actually. Okay, interesting. Um, it's also funny, too, just because further down the trough, you see all of these financial institutions like hedge funds that will participate and don't really care about vice at all. Like, I don't know, not to to call out one, maybe it was like Tiger Global, I feel like is just like any kind of vice business that breaks through a certain threshold. They're like, obviously, we're going to take 20% of this. Hilariously enough, Fidelity. Fidelity yeah. was also involved in Jewel, and Fidelity tried to shut down a bank account because of a nicotine exposure, which to me is wildly ironic. Wow. Yeah, I, I, so is that just because they have a different kind of like LP structure? I mean, I, I imagine that Tiger kind of manages more high net worth individuals as opposed to um, as opposed to like the churches that you mentioned previously? I think it also just comes down to social pressure. Like society has kind of decided that nicotine is bad and Jewel is terrible. And because of that, well, I think they well, why doesn't that social pressure affect the fidelities of the world? I mean, certainly those. I mean, but it is, right? Because oh, fidelity, yeah. yeah. Okay, got it. And got it. a few other banks, like I, a few of my bank accounts personally were shut down. Wow. Because I had exposure to nicotine. And not even like cannabis wasn't a problem. Like alcohol, totally fine. Really, really well. 
That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I think it is kind of similar to what you're saying, John, which is that if you have a pension fund, uh, the pension funds are beholden to their pensioners, right, who are just these huge swaths of people, whereas some of these hedge funds, they probably have fewer shareholders, individual decision makers. Maybe that plays into it. Yeah. Um, but so it seems like we've covered a little bit around how uh, venture capitalists think about what constitutes vice. How do you think about what constitutes vice? And, and I guess when I say vice, uh, in your case, it's whether you think something is uh, morally acceptable to invest in versus not. Yeah, so we take a very strong approach where we think vice is not equal evil. Um, and it's two very different things. And we kind of draw the line as if, if a product either hides um, the harmful effects it has on its users or if it the purpose of it is to harm someone else. So, for example, Vice Ventures would never invest in a violence company or gun business. Sure, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What about rubber bullets? Probably. <laughs> I don't think we would do a rubber bullet business, only because it's not a venture-backable business. Are you, are you okay. pitching harm, reduced, harm reduction for bullets? It was a thought experiment just came to me. I was okay. just curious. So Maybe a dog toy? Sure, okay. Um, so what do you look for in companies you invest in, aside from the fact that you have this kind of... Uh, area that as of today does not have as much competition from traditional VC funds. How do you decide whether a deal is something that you think is attractive? Obviously there's some economics, but can you walk us through your thought process? Yeah. So Vice Ventures is a huge believer in the power of people. Um, and especially when you're operating in legally stunted categories, it all comes down to the intellectual honesty of that founder. And will they be able to have the kind of like wherewithal to realize that the regulations are changing every few months. And because of that, they need to like start from scratch constantly and be able to keep up with everything that's happening. So can you give us some examples of uh, maybe some companies that you've invested in or plan to? Yeah, so Recess is a perfect example. Um, for those who don't know, Recess is an incredible CBD sparkling water with a very strong brand and an absolutely brilliant founder. Um, and when I first invested in that company, um, CBD was actually illegal and the farm bill hadn't passed. So it was really unclear if Food and Bev would be able to have any type of life um, within the CBD world. Yeah, and when you say um, kind of, I think a lot of investors think the same way that you know the investment needs to be people driven and driven by the founders. Um, but I think in in Vice specifically, there's often a sentiment that you want someone who's familiar with the product, but not maybe not addicted to the product in the same way that. Um, I, I think Y Combinator put out a like a request for startups in the cannabis, THC, CBD space, but wanted it to be specifically funded by people that weren't just complete stoners, stoned all day, just overusing the product. They wanted people who were still sharp enough to build a good brand, build a website, you know, stay on top of their their lawyers and their legal requirements, et cetera. Well, I think it depends also on the substance, right? I mean, so we, we talk about what constitutes a drug often on this podcast. Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks, I don't think his investors would be concerned if he drank 10 cups of coffee a day. Yeah, yeah I definitely. wonder how many, has he been public about how much he consumes? I wonder. <laughs> Imagine if he's just like, I haven't touched it in years. Yeah, he's just like, oh, obviously it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> the acrylamide, you can't stand it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, frankly, I would be more concerned about the sugar that's present in most of the Starbucks beverages yeah, than the I caffeine agree. itself. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, recess is relatively low sugar, right? Low sugar, low calorie. Nice. Um, and so, well, so we talked about recess. Let's talk about Bev. What did you like about Bev? 
Um, I loved Leaks Peabody. I invested, she's the founder of this company called Bev. Um, and I invested before she even had the can ready. She just had this idea. She kind of knew where she'd be sourcing her grapes from. She had a vision for what she wanted the brand to be and what she kind of wanted her product line to look like. Um, and just speaking with her, I just felt her energy and knew that she would not fail. If somebody could believe in themselves and believe in this mission, like I obviously would also believe in it as well. Um, and she knew the supply chain backwards and forwards. And and, and so when you think about this people-focused view, as we say, um, you typically uh, invest at the sort of Series Seed, Series A stage as of right now. Is that accurate? Yeah, so we try and be the first check-in. Um, and if we miss the first check, then we'll be the second check. Um, but we try to kind of be with founders from the very beginning or as early as we can be. How do you source deals? They come to me, which is hilarious. Um, we have seen over 400 deals since August, um, and a majority of them have come from Info Advice Ventures. That's awesome. So you just basically say, here I am, and because there's such a dearth of capital in this particular category, you're seeing a lot of inbound. I was on a call today um, with a company that I love and I'm wildly excited about. And they're like, part of the reason we want to work with you is because of your energy. Um, like you're a one person show doing this and you're the first person to answer our emails. You send us all this helpful things all the time. Like we'd love to work with you. I can attest that Catherine is very quick in her communications, whether it be text, email. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's incredible. It just, you know, at any hour, it's just an immediate response. I think that's, that's part of what it is too, is the, the latency in communication is non-existent on your end. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. You have to you have be completely out of your mind yeah. <laughs> to be doing what I'm doing. Is your husband upset that you're often on your phone? Um, actually, yes. I can't watch TV because TV just bores me. <laughs> um, and I just end up texting the entire yeah. time and we're watching a movie and he's like, pay attention. And I'm like, no, I'm bored. I'm bored. <laughs> David needs me. Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it really is amazing. And so when you get on, uh, you know, this uh, inflow into your email address, info advice ventures. Um, you first look at, hopefully they send you some sort of deck and then you can gauge your interest from there. You have a preliminary call, you have a personal meeting. Is that the typical flow? Yeah, um, so we're really big believers in the power of people, but also the power of brands and the powers of telling stories. Um, so if I read an email on Inflow and in the first paragraph, I can kind of have a vision for what it is and I know exactly who would buy it, um, then I'll take the meeting. Got it. And so, uh, you honed your skills uh, in to some extent as an investor when you were working, I think, uh, with Andy and looking at uh, more kind of typical consumer investments. What kind of learnings did you take from that as you apply them into this category? Andy's an absolute genius at understanding the value of a brand and how to build a brand, um, especially online. So working for him, I was able to kind of pick up on the power of brands, what makes a brand, what doesn't make a brand, what kind of qualities to look for in a founder. What kind of commonalities do you see in some of these successful brands? Um, the power of storytelling. Okay. And especially in the vice world, because a lot of them are precluded from um, traditional types of advertising. Um, especially like if you're starting an apparel business, it's a lot easier to reach your consumer than it is if you're starting a nicotine business or a cannabis business or an alcohol business or virtuality porn, God forbid, where would you advertise? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So being able to tell that story um, through other channels is very important and you need a very, very powerful narrative to be able to do that. And so when you look at these categories as they're evolving over time and you said earlier that you 
know that the regulation is changing very constantly uh, around some of these categories and you need to have founders that are comfortable with some of that ambiguity and can react and stay within the boundaries of, of these guidelines. Uh, do you have uh, certain theories and uh, maybe this is some of the proprietary edge on what deals you think will be good, so feel free to share uh, what you're comfortable with, but you know, we have a we have a bet in the office, for instance, around when we think cannabis will be federally legal, and it ranges from uh, people saying five years to uh, a skeptic saying fifteen years. So, do you? <laughs> that's definitely Sammy. Yeah, that's Sammy. But do you? Uh, are there certain uh, pathways or things that you see um, moving in the industry that you think are, are trends that you plan to capitalize on or invest in companies that are uh, aligned with that vision? So I think there's been a ton of um, cash going to ancillary businesses um, and tech businesses in cannabis. And we want to be the premier partner for founders operating and growing brands um, because there hasn't been a lot of capital that's been there yet. And I think that's growing a brand is kind of irrelevant if it's federally legal or not, which is part of the reason why we're so excited about New York City potentially going legal in 2020 or 2021. Got it. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's it's interesting you say that too, because I've uh, heard that from investors in the uh, this quote unquote vice industry that uh, people are, are very interested in finding who is going to be the Coca-Cola, let's say, of, of cannabis um, and there's a lot of room for that, but how do you, how do you deal with the potential kind of scramble or musical chairs uh, in in picking the right one? It's it's just again sort of, who do you think the the founder is is capable of sort of navigating that environment or um, navigating the environment and also having courage. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys, but starting something takes an insane amount of courage and energy, um, and intellectual honesty to realize when you need help and what you're good at. Got it. And, and so presumably what you're talking about for, for using cannabis as an example is, uh, is a business that actually touches flour or touches cannabis directly. So a product company and how important do you think, uh, you mentioned Bev, uh, as being vertically integrated. How important do you think vertical integration would be, um, or is for consumer companies? I think it needs to have some type of proprietary ingredient. In the um, otherwise, it's just a white labeled brand, and anybody could do it. And the barrier to entry is extremely, extremely low. Got it. That makes sense. When you say when you talk about courage, is is there anything different to that kind of courageousness? Given that vice companies face kind of different pressures. I mean, there's the same pressures as starting a company, telling your friends and family that you're maybe not going to be earning a salary for a while, taking this big leap, but then also the societal pressure coming from, oh, well, I deal with something that's maybe illegal or maybe looked down upon and um, and kind of the additional risk there. Yeah, so I'll give a great example of um, a founder who I think has, or a pair of founders who I think has exceptional intellectual honesty and courage. Um, it's a company called Plant People. It's based in New York City. Uh, they want to launch a whole line of hemp products. So right now they have capsules, um, balms, um, olive oil tinctures mm -hmm. um, and they have put their entire savings into the business and hasn't raised outside capital to date um, and that's like the that's the level of um, like commitment commitment yeah got it yeah great so let's talk a little bit we've we've uh, and I want to return to some more examples of companies that uh, are some of uh, in some of these other vice verticals in a minute but uh, first we've uh, 
We've been a little bit self-congratulatory uh, about sort of the vice niche. Let's talk about some of the negative feedback that you've received from people uh, for launching a venture capital firm called Vice Ventures. What is the typical kind of uh, negative feedback that you've received? What I'm doing is absolutely terrible. I'm harming the environment. I had one person who started a business that sold millions of pieces of single-use plastic to emotionally insecure women telling me that I'm doing something horrible. Um, so it's been pretty hilarious. Got it. And, and so the, the reason um, I, in particular, I bring that up is because you wrote a blog post uh, recently that talked about your investment thesis. And there was a really good point in there that I really enjoyed uh, where you said, uh, paraphrasing something along the lines of people get very upset at the fact that I'm investing in a psychoactive substance such as nicotine or cannabis because there's this perception of inherent harm. But these things can be done in a harm-reduced manner, whereas when you look at the investments in companies like ExxonMobil or Facebook, et cetera, these are examples of non-vice companies that have potentially caused a lot of harm. Uh, did, I, did I paraphrase that correctly? Completely. Um, I mean, just look at Johnson & Johnson, who potentially caused cancer for millions of Americans, um, and we're still talking about how terrible Altria is, despite most of us owning Altria in some type of mutual fund or index stock. Yeah. So, I mean, on some level, I think you would like the public consciousness to shift and kind of understand and, and emotionally uh, take hold of that argument. But at the same time, it's kind of fortunate for you that people aren't yet, right? Definitely. Um, but I think at the same time, I'd hope that society kind of realizes that talking about these things are okay. So, do you think all drugs should be legal? I think to a degree. Okay. Are there, uh, what do you think about um, some of the stuff coming out about hallucinogens, which you mentioned as a category? So psilocybin for treatment resistant depression, MDMA, I believe for PTSD and, and maybe something similar, ketamine just got announced. Um, is that, uh, you think that's a new frontier? That's something that Vice Ventures would be interested in investing in? I think that is definitely a new frontier. Vice Ventures is 100% interested in investing in psychedelics. The only hesitation we have is that I am not a doctor. And I am not a scientist, um, and it's really hard for me to determine what is and isn't medicine. Um, so that's kind of the only hesitation that we have on that front. How will you um, overcome that hesitation, potentially? I'm waiting for consumer brands to start. I think medical will be kind of the first frontier of that, um, and I think we're probably going to end up in a world where microdosing um, is a real phenomenon in American culture. So is that to say that you would be reluctant to invest in some of these companies that are already entering the space that are medicinal? You, you, you wouldn't invest in medicinal cannabis. You prefer kind of it to be classified as recreational. Yes. We are believers in brands um, just because we can't decide what is and isn't medicine. But isn't there an argument to be said? I mean, if you use the cannabis example as, an analogy for what could happen with psychedelics. A lot of the cannabis entrepreneurs who ended up starting product companies that are still around entered the fray under the sort of auspices of, of medicinal cannabis. And so if you're interested in forming these relationships with entrepreneurs, would you consider potentially? Vice Ventures will be helpful to anybody that's operating in a vice category. Got it. Um, whether we invest capital or not um, is kind of a separate conversation. Cool. So on that note, you say 
you know, any vice category. I think we've done a, a decent job of kind of highlighting a few of those, but I want to try and map these to something that's um, kind of, I guess, like religious and, and maybe antiquated, but um, the... Uh, the seven deadly sins. I want to read them to you. <laughs> oh, this is a, this, this is, is a, yeah, this this is like a, a, a new round. lightning round that we're trying. Um, so I'm going to go through the seven deadly sins and you have to tell me um, just your first reaction to each one. If you think it's um, like an opportunity, if you think it's misunderstood by society, or if you think it's something that you should stay away from. Got it. Uh, so first is lust. Um, vice ventures would not invest in lust. No. What about gluttony? Um, absolutely. Greed. Um, that one is difficult. Probably not. Uh, what about sloth? Absolutely. Uh, what about wrath? No, the antithesis of that wrath. feels like guns. To yes. Me, yeah. Um, envy. No. Pride. No. Pride, also, pride lust we would invest like, in. Uh, pride and envy feel like uh, Instagram to me. You know. Yeah. I right. Feel like, I feel like a lot of these companies that would fall into the seven deadly sins are not vice companies. And kind of vice versa, no pun intended. <laughs> no, I, is on the horizon. I, I totally agree. I mean, we were discussing this earlier today. Gluttony, for instance, Uber Eats. I, <laughs> I've always loved McDonald's. And <laughs> I say this as a, as a Soylent co-founder. I've always loved McDonald's. I have never not loved McDonald's. And I used to not eat it very frequently. But now that Uber Eats has partnered with McDonald's <laughs> almost every weekend... Well, it's um, gluttony. It's not just gluttony. It's gluttony and sloth yeah, combined. It, yeah, it hits that's you in where both, they get in you. Both places. And maybe greed. Yeah, yeah. And there's uh, it no, is because I order way too much. Order way too much. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no and there's and there's no thought to that. No one would ever say, "Oh, we can't invest in Uber Eats because it violates some you know, social construct." Right, but the sugar. I mean, but you know, yeah, big sugar, same. quote unquote. I mean, and how many people own McDonald's stock? Same thing. A lot. A lot. Well, and I. But you know, I try to be consistent as I can. I have no problem with McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> although I wish that I had slightly better self-control uh, on the weekend when I crave it. Um, but lust, lust to some extent also feels like virtual reality porn. So I have a lot of conversations with potential LPs around Ashley Madison. Oh yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's why when you read, like originally was like, would you invest in lust? I was like, absolutely not. But the whole point of Vice Ventures is to never say that. Um, so we definitely would invest. And what about like lost. the destigmatization of like the sex toy industry, for example? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, um, it w was it in your post where you were saying that there's a number of drugs that are approved for men's sexual reproductive health, but not as many for women's sexual reproductive health. And there's kind of this, like, like there's a leveling the playing field uh, kind of play to be made in general. Yeah. So one company that I think is a great example of that is this company called Mod. Um, which is founded by oh, yeah. an old Everlane creative person. Sure. Um, and she basically makes condoms, lubricants, sex toys, and she makes a candle now just because she can advertise her company through a candle. Interesting. Um, but cannot advertise it through her incredibly thought out vibrators or wow. condoms or anything else on the internet. Wow. Wow. Um, wasn't there the case of that company? Is this the one that you're talking about that was banned from CES at the last minute because they won some design award and then they weren't allowed to actually sh be on the floor because they realized somehow after they granted the design award that it was a vibrator or something? <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> this company is different, but okay. that was a tragedy. Yeah. Isn't CES like held the same week as like the adult conference in the same building as in ABN? Las Vegas? Yeah, I yep. think that's it or something. 
Well, that that was must have been convenient for them because they could have just <laughs> yeah. showcased at two conferences at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, are there any startups in virtual reality porn that you've looked at or that are maybe even fairly far along that um, people might not have heard about? Um, none that really excite me to be totally transparent. No pun intended. Okay. <laughs> and why, wh why is that? What, what do you think is lacking? Just adoption of the consumer devices? Um, I think some of them are too late for me to be excited about okay, it. Okay, sure, sure. Um, and then some of them, the founders, I just think they lack the intellectual honesty. Got it, yeah. Of um, realizing who would use their product and who would be excited about it and what markets it would succeed in most. Interesting. So I feel like one of the themes that you touched on was the fact that, like, you can make a good case for investing in Vice being acceptable because a lot of these companies that don't fall into the Vice clause wind up having unintended consequences that are sometimes equal or often greater than like, the impact on society of, of a, you know, an, an oil company, which when it was funded, everyone thought that it was amazing. And now there's an impact. Um, but do you see any um, risks to, like how do you vet that the vice companies that you invest in will be on the right side of history in 50 years, in 100 years. So it's impossible to make those calls in the very beginning. Yeah. And I think that just kind of um, speaks to the importance of building a community around vice ventures in general. Sure. So basically, we didn't talk about this yet, um, but what I want to do is create a community of all the founders that I invest in. Um, who can then help each other grow, who can leverage distribution networks, um, crisis PR, regular PR, legal, um, and be able to keep checks on each other and moral checks and kind of grow together as a category and legitimize it along the way. So to, to emphasize or, or return to a point that you guys just made there, is Vice Ventures, uh, is one of the tenets of your philosophy that when you invest in something that is quote-unquote considered a vice, that you're interested in the harm reduction properties of that investment? Definitely harm reduction. And also, if it's not completely focused on harm reduction, it's not hiding the effects of the harm that's causing on people. Got it. Okay. So Transparency. At, yeah. So at the bare minimum, honesty, at best, it's a harm-reduced product. We aim for harm reduction. Got it. So let's say, let's use Bev as an example then. Um, a lot of people, uh, well, let's just take the government. It's, it's more difficult to get a liquor license than it is to get a license for beer and wine in most states. So would you consider Bev to be a harm reduction uh, investment on your side? In a way, yes, um, just because of it comes back to Bev's brand, which is trying to empower um, females around having their own fun with alcohol. Because um, if you look at the alcohol industry, a lot of it is owned and dominated by men. Um, so they want to come out with their own voice. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good point. Um, I can't think of too many female-focused alcohol brands, maybe because I'm I'm not a woman, <laughs> um, but it's super interesting. I'm, I myself love rosé, though, so I, I will definitely be consuming uh, Bev. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the product. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, is it available in stores in California? It's all over Los Angeles, actually, and the team is based in Venice. We okay. should bring some on set. All right. Well, let's let's get some after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, 
I guess we've talked about cannabis. We've talked about nicotine. We've talked about VR porn. We've talked about hallucinogens. Is there any other kind of category or um, sort of, I guess, yeah, category that you you think think that would would fit within uh, the investment thesis that we haven't discussed? Uh, Gambling, online gambling and esports. Okay. And you're looking at companies actively that that are uh, exploring that? Yes. Any ones that you like in particular? I mean, Players Lounge, of course. I'm a huge fan of the team there. Players Lounge. Shout out to Jack, uh, Zach Dixon. Yeah. Love Zach Good Dixon. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Those, I, we, they were in our batch in, in Y Combinator, actually. We, we really like those They're guys. They're a great team. Agree. Um, so, I mean, gambling's an interesting one, too, right? Because ostensibly you could have someone who is gambling away their life savings. Um, but on the other side of that coin, you could say it's a harmless way to compete with your friends and, and get more engaged. I mean, how do you how do you think about gambling and, and the spectrum there? Um, I think it just comes down to social betting. Um, and we try to invest in companies that understand the harm that it could potentially have on families and, and communities in general. Got it. And I guess there's also a distinction often between skill-based games and non-skill-based games. So it's not like players lounge is saying click this digital roulette wheel and wager an unlimited sum it is play games against your friends to potentially win a little bit of cash right yes and talk about founders who have intellectual honesty yeah that's a perfect example yeah Yeah, i mean the core of that company was born out of you know tournaments played for money with a cash pool at like bars like and that's very very common um it doesn't feel like gambling when it's put in that uh, in that context, like, oh, you went to a tournament and there was a prize pool. Um, but when you kind of break it out, it starts to feel a little bit more, but I think as long as you're in the skill-based skill category, because you'll get very rapid feedback, whereas at a slot machine, it can be designed to make you feel like you're winning while you're losing and losing and losing, and they can play a whole bunch of psychological tricks, but if you're bad at a game, you're going to lose a lot of money really quickly and you're going to get instant feedback that you shouldn't be gambling on yourself. And it also gives you time to kind of get better at the game before you go and gamble on it again. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And not to be preachy, but I mean, this I think ties into a lot of the philosophy behind harm reduction. So uh, if you look at what is the alternative, the alternative is that we try to make gambling illegal. And then we've seen what the consequences of that are. What you have are... People do it anyway because they'll just use uh, proxy servers to access websites in other countries where they don't have those laws. And basically the same thing happens. And who knows who those actors in those other countries who are operating these sites are. But they can steal people's money just directly. Um, or you have something like bookies that are owned by the mafia where they don't care if somebody potentially has a gambling problem, they encourage it. And then you have the old, you know, it's like a trope in a movie. They're going to come break your legs if you don't have their money. And so, you know, if you have a legitimate business, are you going to go break people's legs if they don't have players lunch money? Uh, <laughs> I thought I'm that's my, what you might I, be saying. Um, my dad told me all these stories of him like living in New York city and dealing with bookies and having people come and like break their legs and loan sharks and all of this. So I'm having very vivid memories. Jesus. Right now. Well, so yeah, I mean, so that's something you definitely don't want. Whereas no. right now, if, if all of these businesses are legal, then they can be regulated and then you don't have organized crime. You don't have this 
human violence, uh, brutality uh, in the system. I'm trying to imagine the modern version of that because everything's online. So it would have to be like, I'm going to write mean comments on your Instagram or, or you just get like pop-up ads, your Bitcoin or something. just crazy pop-up ads when you're trying to work. Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. where's my money? Definitely ping, like ping. a virus or something would be more uh, modern than the breaking of the legs. Sure. Or breaking into someone's iMessage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like doxing someone. Um, well, let's not give people ideas. Like yeah. And, and fortunately, well, fortunately um, I don't have too many bets out on the street. That's well, yet. yeah. Well, everything's skill-based that I play in. I'm very skilled. What so. games do you play? Uh, well, me and Zach have got to play Apex Legends, the new, new Battle oh Royale. Oh, my God. Um, I added him yesterday, but he hasn't gotten back to me yet. Yeah, I don't know. I've just been seeing the memes that now those games, people have been, they've been out long enough that people are getting so good at them that a casual player or a new player such as myself would not even be ho close to being competitive. So mm. I feel like I just missed the boat. Uh, maybe. I, I have spent hours sitting in the living room listening to my husband play Apex Legends and listening to all <laughs> of the shooting noises. He doesn't wear headphones? No, headphones. Phil, if you're gift. listening to this, please buy yeah. headphones. Yeah, yeah, that's a great gift. Maybe he's got a birthday coming up. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, if he's getting mad that you're Plus, touching. Plus, he should be communicating with his team. He needs a microphone. Oh. These are team-based games. Oh, my God. Oh, I agree. Yeah, so he, he will perform better, and it'll, it'll be, everything will be better. All right, Thank well, you, John, you won't be bothered. for that advice. Okay, yeah, all right, guys. Since <laughs> we're... Um, this is a gaming podcast now? Yeah, since we're moving into um, lighter territory here, John, do you want to uh, lead this next lightning round? Sure, sure. Okay, so we have, a light, we have another lightning round. We're going to ask you a bunch of random questions this time. Um, just try and answer them as quickly as possible. Um, so what was the first consumer product or brand that you remember loving? Quick. Ah, first thing that comes Bev, to mind. Bev, of course. No, no, this is like as a kid. <laughs> it it took you however 20-something years in your life to like a consumer product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beanie Babies. There you go. Okay. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, if you could hang out with any celebrity for a day, what, who would it be? Um, Howard Schultz. Okay. Uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? Absolutely. Oh, controversial opinion there. You're going to get hate in the comments. Um, if you were God for a day and had to eliminate either all uppers on earth or all downers, which one would you eliminate? Downers, obviously. There you go. Uh, what's the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up? Brush my teeth. Oh, actually, check my email. Okay. Yes, it's usually something on the phone. Um, unless you got a toothbrush by your bedside See, table. I turn off the alarm. I can't believe that you <laughs> can answer emails through the alarm. I no. am so insane that I wake up at 6 a.m. every day without an alarm. Wow. Yeah. Wait, like on the dot? On the dot. Like really? literally like 6.03 every morning answering emails. That's awesome. Right. Um, what do you want to be doing in retirement? Living in Paris. That's good. Would you rather be able to fly or go invisible? Go invisible. What was the last book you read? Um, I'm reading right now Originals by Adam Grant. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, what was your news resolution for 2019? To work out more. Uh, which investors do you feel worse for? Theranos or Fire Festival? Fire Festival. Why? It's just so ridiculous. Like it's comical. I I I feel like I would prefer to be a a Fire Festival in, uh, investor just because it's more comical. Whereas Theranos, I feel like I would hate if people darker. laughed at me. I feel like darker. There's lessons to be learned from it. I guess yeah. And it's like an emotional trauma, yeah. and you're like learning and you're growing. But Fire Festival is just the whole thing is just so ridiculous. It is. It is. But don't the investors own the brand now? Aren't they? Aren't they going to have like a comeback or something? I have no like idea. That? That's hilarious if they are going to do that. I think. I think minus the guy that was a little bit unscrupulous, but I think they might be <laughs> uh, <laughs> minorly unscrupulous. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Well, um, so we're uh, we're close uh, to uh, the end of our time here, but um, let's let's go back to uh, a few more serious topics for a minute. I think uh, one of the reasons why um, we wanted to put out the show was to showcase uh, alternative career paths and uh, all the things that are out there for people who. Um, maybe interested in getting into something new or maybe starting out um, on, you know, their first career path. So what advice uh, would you have for people who want to break into VC? Follow your most insane instincts. Um, the more courageous you are, like probably the better you will be. Okay. Can, so what did, what did that mean for you? Starting my own fund. Okay. Um, not finding a job I wanted to take, being endlessly frustrated and feeling terrible constantly that everybody thought I was crazy for wanting to invest in these things. Um, finding a company that I absolutely loved and really believed in and went out on a whim and emailing over 350 people um, and then starting my own fund from there. Awesome. And then um, are there any investors in particular that you look up to or that you have tried to take things from as you have developed your personal style? Jeremy Liu, for sure, of Lightspeed. What about it? Um, I think he thinks about brands very intelligently. And I think he kind of asks the right questions, which I think is very important when you're getting to know somebody. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to double back and find all of the material I can on that guy. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about uh, any particular habits that you think are unusual that you have that contributed to your success? Being just like completely out of my mind and insane on communication. So very low latency in communication. <laughs> um, I mean, I try and operate it in box zero. And if I don't respond to an email in 24 hours, it will haunt me until I respond to it. Yeah, makes sense. And then you inbox zero on all platforms or just email? Um, all platforms. No notifications, like no little red icons. Except on, on LinkedIn. Okay, yeah, um, that makes sense. No one can do LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn it's is too much. It's overwhelming. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I have zero notifications on LinkedIn. Maybe I'm not You're successful bragging. enough. Not working hard enough. <laughs> or I'm just not. Nobody cares about my LinkedIn. I guess. I, I, um, I doubt that. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna cry later tonight. But um, what I'm is? I'm gonna unfriend you and then refriend you on LinkedIn. <laughs> Thank you. That would give me some joy. Um, all right. What about? Um, what is the best piece of advice that you think you've received, or something that you try to remind yourself of on a regular basis? It's okay to ask for help. Um, I mean, I'm starting this completely alone and there's clearly a lot of things I don't know since I've never done this. Um, and just being able to cold email other investors and being like, Hey, you don't know me, but I have this question and I'd love to get advice from you. And having people hop on the phone 10 minutes after I send the email, um, kind of shows the importance of being able to ask for help and how willing people are to help you if you ask. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for helping us by coming on this podcast. We thank really appreciate it. Thank you so much it. for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.